Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are the soul. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're doing well. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode is smashing. Uh, it took a while to get this one uh, in the diary, which I'm sure we, we mentioned at the beginning as well. Um, but today's guest is Billy Lunn, uh, frontman of the Subways and all-round absolute gentleman. It was um, so much fun. Uh, I, I've met Billy before, and, uh, and and I couldn't wait to get him on off the beaten track, and, uh, and you'll see why uh, when this podcast starts. But before it starts, um, just want to say um, hi and thanks to everybody on the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, big thanks to my producer, 76. And also, if um, you've explored the Distraction Pieces Network, and you found lots of podcasts to listen to there, and you've still got room for more, then can I suggest that you head over to www.podbiblemag.com. That's the magazine that me, Scroobius Pip, and Adam Richardson have set up uh, at the beginning of 2019, and we're heading into 2020 now. And uh, you can get the magazine when it comes out now. It gets distributed um, right across uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales in the Sunday Times. And you can read it online and you can buy copies online. And it's it's just a one-stop shop um, for all things podcast. And we have a podcast for that as well. The Pod Bible Podcast is also a weekly um, podcast uh, hosted by myself, Pip and Adam. And we have all your favourite podcasters on there chatting about their podcast as well as recommending the ones that they like listening to. Right, I think that's it. Um, If you enjoy this episode, please check the back catalogue because there's a bundle of episodes in there featuring people that we talk about today. People like Block Party, people like Billy's Wife Rowena, um, Tim Dello from Transgressive Records. I'm trying to think who else we spoke about on on the episode. But go and have a look in the back catalogue because um, it's absolutely chock-a-block with amazing creatives, whether they be artists, musicians, actors, producers, DJs. Go, go and get stuck in. Um, and if you see us on the socials, we're on all the, the usual platforms. Please give us a, a like, love, a share or a retweet because um, I love doing this podcast and 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 I hope that you enjoy listening to, to what the guests have to say and, and obviously... You know, my goal is to hopefully 
get this podcast out to as many people as possible. So um, all your support is much appreciated. There is a Patreon page as well. Um, each week I put out a show on there where I, I play records uh, in, in full uh, and, and chat about them and sometimes have guests and sometimes it's just me talking about uh, certain eras or certain genres or just records that that you know I think that you should you should check out and stuff. So that's over on Patreon. I think I've exhausted all the the hyping and the and the and the selling business now. So I'm just going to shut up and I'm going to say please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Billy Lunn. I've got an announcement. Save our souls clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. We are in, uh, we're in Hipster Shoreditch today, and uh, sitting opposite me uh, is my friend Billy Lum from the Subways. Hello. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So we've had a bit of a, a chinwag before we've pressed record, and, we, and it's, it's one of them things where you, you don't want to say too much, I know. especially when you start talking music, because you want to kind of make yeah. sure we have the chat on, on I can here. see your eyes going, nah, stop talking, <laughs> save it, save it. But I'm terrible. Like, I just yabber on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we should say that um, we met probably a year and a half ago when you yeah. come and done the Hardcore Listing Podcast, yes. which has gone down in history as <laughs> one of the most surreal we've ever done. And we've done a lot of batshit podcasts. Podcasts. Oh, nice. But the fact that you went into pretty much every character in the Life of Brian series. <laughs> yeah, I'm so obsessed with that film. Like, if I start talking about it, and me, my dad, and my brother are all the same, like, we just, we go into the voices. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and, and, and obviously since then, um, 
I've done many a show on, on Boogaloo Radio, which you've got a show on yeah. that you do with Rowena. Obviously, Rowena's come and done, um, Rowena being your wife, has done Off yeah. the Beaten Track as well. And uh, and so it's nice to finally get uh, you sitting in front of me talking about music on well, Off the Beaten Track. Well, it's good to be here, man. Like, I'm so sorry I haven't been here, you know, thus far. But like Mate, I you've been busy. Before, I know, I know. Yeah, I've been, like, doing essays and stuff, so, yeah. <laughs> and I see there's lots of good stuff coming up. So yes. we'll talk about that as, cool. uh, as, as we move through this podcast. But, Billy, I always start with the song with the greatest ever intro yes okay um so for me it's uh sabotage by beastie boys and like i felt so i felt so standard <laughs> when, I, when i put this down but for me it just it's it's like the perfect intro um and you know growing up on rock and roll it's kind of uh it was uh you know the the, the sense of the ramshackle and craziness and uh, the confluence of maybe like uh, several genres has always really yeah. appealed to me so the first time I heard this intro, I was like, okay, how do they do this? Yeah. Um, and I, I still now, I struggle to play it on guitar. Like, it's so, it's so simple. It's two notes. Is it's it? It's like, yeah, I've worked it out. It's like G, it's G sharp. And then it's like an F sharp, which is only just below it. But they play it an octave above on a different string. And uh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And there's something, um, there's something so punk about it. There's yeah. something so jazzy about it. Uh, there's something so rock and the rhythm of it as well is like it's it speaks of the melting pot of outer New York you know but at the same time um, it always felt like it was mine and ours and everyone else's you know because uh, because it's just it's so free I think that's what it sort of um, uh, elicits from me is like a defiance every time I hear that that opening riff I'm just like I can do this I can do today and like Screw everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I will. I will watch them doing that on Letterman every Mate, couple of weeks. Do you know what? Like when I um, when I first started uni uh, in 2016, um, and I was having a really, I was having a, I was struggling to get started. And you have to live in college when you go to Cambridge, so you know you wake up, you'll go to breakfast, and it's so it's so archaic it's ridiculous uh so like every morning on a monday i'd post that letterman performance on the the wolfson college facebook page really everybody we can do this (laughs) amazing yeah uh that letterman performance and sometimes josh and i when we're on tour um We'll just we'll be in the dressing room. We'll turn around and go. Do you want should we, should we play the Letterman performance? And we're like, yeah, go on then. <laughs> and we just put it up on YouTube. It's so good and to know that other people get yeah. as hyped about that. It's magnificent. Yeah. There's something about it, right? Uh, they've they've got a jazz bassist playing yeah. it, um, and you know they're, they're they're all playing their instruments. And there's there's something there's something uh, multi genreic about it, mm. and uh, and defiant as well. Like I've said. Uh, about the performance it's it's together it's so together yeah. it's so locked in in the same way that like jazz music is locked in but then it's kind of like punk in the way yeah. the beastie boys have always been yeah. and um and and you know hip-hop as well they've always been that kind of like that meshing of those two genres um so it's everything that i kind of love about music but it's that it's that g sharp and that f sharp specifically um and with that really kind of overdriven sound as well yeah that's just like it perks my ears up and it makes me feel ready for anything. Okay, well, I guess a lot of people's um, entry point into knowing the subways yeah. will be rock and roll. 
clean. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's quite an intro. Oh, cool, yeah. Right. Um, and but so where I'm going with this is. I know that you've been working on, we, we spoke before and we, we will talk about it more, you've been working on new music. Yeah. Um, when you first started out as a Subways, uh, you were very young. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ridiculously young. I look back now and I'm like, how? <laughs> how did I do all that? How did, you, how did you approach writing intros and how much emphasis did you put on the intro? And how is that today? Right. Um, back when we first started. you get started, where I'm going with that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, it, it was... I, I, I suppose, like, I I knew of the importance of intros. Like, you know, I grew up and I remember hearing Smiles of Teen Spirit and that yeah. intro. And, um, and you know, uh, My Hero by Foo Fighters, the drum yeah. uh, intro. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think, but I think a part of it also was, like, I was just really anxious to get the song started. Yeah. So you listen to songs like, oh, yeah, and it's just like, I think it's four bars or two bars of the do, 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 do. I even wanted to cut that in half because I was like, let's just get the song started. Let's get straight to the chorus. Was, uh, was that just for your peace of mind or was you considering radio and were, were them things ever um, come into your mindset? Uh, radio never really came into my mindset until until we started recording the album and our A&R guy would come in and go, oh, you don't want to scream because of radio. And I was like, what? what is so important about radio? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're probably never going to get played on radio, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, no, it was all about playing live. I think like when we were on, we started out primarily as like a live band. We formed so that we could play at the square in Harlow. Cool. Like, which unfortunately now is like reduced to rubble uh, because it was sold off by uh, a Tory council uh, <laughs> to some investors who still haven't built what they were meant to be investing in. Um, I, I just think the council just wanted that place shut down. Um, but, you know, it was it was full of history. And I, I, I want to talk about that. Let's do it now. Let's talk about okay. the square. The square, yeah. So, like, the, we, we formed the band because of the square. Like, yeah. we were in school. We would rehearse uh, after school uh, in, like, the music block. And luckily, you know... I feel what we should say, uh, yeah. for those that are, are, are unaware of what the Harlow Square was, it, it wasn't, I guess, a, a kind of club as, as, as you may sort of expect to see on a high street. It was almost like, sort of almost like a youth centre as well, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and so you could, I think you could go in there at maybe under 18, if I remember rightly. Was it 16 totally. plus? And yeah, they'd have like, they'd have... They'd have days uh, on the weekends and in holidays, school holidays, yeah. where they'd run rock school. And they'd get kids in and just teach them how to play instruments. And you'd by the end of the weekend, you'd be in a band and you'd be performing a cover on stage. And they'd film it and record it for you. And you'd go away with like this artifact of your performance. And you'd feel that you've fucking done cool something. That. Honestly, man. Like, it's life-changing. And the fact that so many kids are going to be deprived of that yeah. in Harlow and everywhere. We weren't even from Essex or Harlow. Yeah. We were from Hertfordshire, but we travelled all the way up because we knew how important and great that place was. But we formed so that we could play in the rock contest. And we did that, like, three years running. And by the time we did the third year, we we were we were the Subways and we were about to start playing gigs in London. And then, you know, we spent two or three years playing London and then we were eventually signed. But, like, we wouldn't be a band whatsoever without the Square. Yeah. I mean, we would play a show... Um, and afterwards, the people at the square who are still our friends and our mentors, they come up and go, that was good. You, you know, you, you're trying to do this. You're trying to be that, you know, find you. And, you know, they, it, yeah. it's like they deconstruct you. Yeah. And, and it was like a real learning experience. So, 
um, yeah, it was essential. And I met Ro there as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, a chikinky ch- gig. Uh, chikinky. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's a word I've not heard for a long time. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Ro talks about that on, on, on the episode, I think actually. She, I think she, she thinks it was a mohair gig, I think. And I'm like, no, it was chikinky. Mo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we, we shouldn't overlook the importance of, of Harlow Square. And, and as someone that, you know, has, has worked in a, an Essex music venue for, right. for, for, for just like my brush, fourth decade, yeah. yes. Um, uh, when, when we would play, we would play Chinneries. Or at the time, it was the Esplanade in South End. Uh, and, oh, I played Chinneries with um, Ordinary Boys and Hardfire. Amazing. Yeah, it was like the seaside <laughs> tour around all these places and we played Chinneries. I loved it. And, and, and that was, that, you know, you'd play there and, and then and one of them Essex venues, you'd play the White Club or the Army and Navy in Chelmsford and then you would go and play the Square in Harlow. And it, right. was, and it was just an essential part of yeah. forming your band and, and, and developing yourself as a band, you know. You could you could get people to them gigs because we was based in Essex. It wasn't yeah. too tough to get people along to them shows, and and it's such a shame that so many of them venues that I've just mentioned there, the Esplanade, the Wire Club, um, uh, the Army and Navy, and the Square, they're yeah. no longer here. I know it's like I there, there were several uh, acoustic performances I did before the uh, the square shut down and there would be like it would stack there, there was like, a lot of sort of stuff put in place to try and stop it wasn't it there was lots of benefit yeah. stuff going on so like one of my best mates actually um invested in it and he created square one which took uh, responsibility from the council so he was saying like we'll take over we'll do we'll do this because this means that much to us that we want to keep it running so just go away leave it to us we'll put our own money and our own resources into it and they did um, for a while um, but obviously they didn't own the venue and I was like I was so close to just going how much does it cost I'll, yeah. you know I'll see if I can pile the money together and I'll live upstairs or something <laughs> you know because I, I would do that for that yeah. place but um, it, it was never going to happen because uh, you know that they, they, they always had this idea that they were going to um, uh, demolish it and have someone buy the land and build luxury flats and that's that's unfortunate you know it's happening everywhere now they're just demolishing all these these hubs of creativity and these like these places of um, these relics of like uh, musical history, and then it's turning them into I don't know stuff for men in suits to Absolutely. to, to um, make capital one. We're recording this in uh, WeWork in East London, uh, which is uh, <laughs> which pretty is like much exactly that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah uh, it, I, I, I say that having just walked into the building and gone, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> this, is, this is like the modern quandary. <laughs> oh, but as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, shit, that's exactly where we are right now. And it was the epitome but of it. I was walking over, like, I've, I've just, po- I've, I've, I was walking over and I'm like, I'm, I'm a sucker for this. Um, and I, t- I, I saw a bridge and I saw a derelict building. Then I saw a train line. Then I saw this glass building and I had to take a picture of it. And the, the title I put alongside it was like a confluence of the derelict and the new. Yeah. Like, and I love that stuff. But at the same time, it like, it just creates this weird tension in me. That's like, God, we're, 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 we're going in such a weird direction where yeah. we have to like, um, we have to equalize within ourselves. Like, this idea that oh we want to keep things the same and we want to keep the important stuff but then like it's so out of our control we just have to run with it yeah you know um, and it I suppose in a way in a weird paradoxical way um, it it's it's making kids all over the country 
you know, they're not going to the venues. They're going to the bigger venues. They're going to these, like, corporate venues and they're going to the corporate festivals. But even they're kind of, like, splintering up and you get in the smaller festivals and more family-orientated festivals and the kind of indie festivals. But, you know, music will persevere. And it's like... It's not it's not me like conceding to this Tory mindset that, you know, regardless of what happens, people will be creative and innovative or whatever, because I, I, I hate Tories and I hate that mindset. I think we should provide services for people to flourish. Absolutely. But, um, but music is like it's and I, I go on to explain this in, in like the next one, I think. But like music, we have these emotional and intellectual connections with music that that force us to do something about it, I suppose. And, you know, when we couldn't afford to rent out a room in the square or like record in the square, um, because when you get to a certain point, they'd be like, right, OK, you're going to pay for a, a, an engineer to turn up and record you and use our mics and you want, use our desk and we'll mix it for you and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And even when we were still like building up our money store so that we could go in and actually record in the square, we were recording on a Digi 8 track at home in our parents' council house um, so that we could just have something to put up online and try and get gigs. Yeah. So, you know, um, and you've you got music technology that sort of affords that now. Um, but even that's kind of expensive. But like with stuff like Reaper and um, I don't know, even Audacity, I suppose you can get something down. Yeah, you know that 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 maybe like plants a seed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just such a shame because there was something so almost like ceremonial about in the same way that like clubbing and raving was ceremonial and, and community based. You know, there's and and with the what was it the Criminal Justice Act that like stopped all those raves that was bringing people together and and possibly could have led to this like couldn't control it billy yeah yeah no it it, it scares them right best stop that yeah it scares them because and and the riots at the criminal justice act i mean yeah i I could vividly remember the the guy that i i I was co-promoting with at the time literally being yanked off of these gates on the news and it was it was unbelievable what they put in place you know all of a sudden however much there was you know ecstasy involved whatever you want to say there was people being nice to each other on yeah. mass yeah. celebrating stuff that had been created in bedrooms I stuff know. that had been created in little dirty studios and and it was it was just it exploded yeah. this huge ball of culture and and what what I would love to have seen was was where that could have gone. I know how that could this have flourished to something else. This is it. They they they, the, you know the 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 higher echelons, the people in power that that get scared. All that all they're essentially scared of is like people being good and nice to each other and realizing that they have the power to change oh, mass, themselves yeah. and society. Don't like it. Mm. So, um, you know, they, they, they shut down. And, and what's happened recently with live venues and, like, even something as insidious as, like, cutting funding for the arts and, you know, uh, uh, making sure that councils don't have enough money so that uh, community centres like the square can just keep going. Um, that That's, like, a more um, peaceable but at the same time a dangerous way of... of taking autonomy away from people Mm -hmm. and and the um the the opportunity to express you know um so yeah there's a there's a real sadness that kind of like lives within me since the death of the square and um my best mate tries as much as he can um to kind of like 
do these like benefit nights and which I try and do as much as possible, but it just breaks my heart being in a room with the same people that I grew up with and that, um, I, I learned so much from, um, but we're not at the square. Mm. We're somewhere else. And it's like, we feel, I feel adrift, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like a refugee or an exile or something. Um, and you know, if I, a part of me is like, you know, I really want to, I, I want my band to do well so that I can maybe, I don't know, buy out the investors and do something about yeah. it. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> That's the longest answer we've ever done for question I'm one. so sorry. <laughs> Mate, I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, track two, Billy. Yes. Um, the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, right. So it's um, uh, The Tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And um, I, it's, it's remained, since I first heard it, my all-time favourite song, and it will never, ever be trumped. Um, God, I feel bad even just saying that word as a verb. <laughs> um, uh, it's um, up until I heard that song, and I was like six years old when I first heard it. And, Where was that? Uh, it was um, in in the car uh, on the way to uh, swimming lessons uh, at Hatfield, um, where, which is where I first remember. My first memories are, are of growing up in Hatfield, or as I like to fondly call it, Shatfield, because <laughs> it was a bit of a shithole. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, my heart is in that shithole. Um, I, I, up until that point, I would, you know, we'd go to the old trades and labor club on the weekends and we'd do dance and they'd play like the disco classics. And I just loved to dance. Like I'd be the first and the last on the dance floor. And my, my mum would love it. She'd be laughing. Did you show off? I was such a show off. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll come, when we come to the club in one, like I'll, you, you'll, I'll show you how much of a show off I was. Um, but I, I, I would try dragging people up onto the dance floor cause I love to move. Yeah. I just loved the beat, I loved the rhythm, and I loved the place I went to when I was dancing. But when I listened to Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, The Tracks of My Tears, it became more than just rhythm and like a means to dancing on a dance floor. It suddenly became, I, 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 like there was this emotional connection that was forged. And I was like, what, what is it that could make someone feel so impassioned and so yearning and at the same time, make the listener so impassioned and so yearning. It's love, isn't it? Mm. He's speaking about love. Um, and that's how I learned about love. Like, and every, every relationship I've had, unrequited or successful or painful or whatever, has its origins in that song. And, um, and like the ineffability of love as well. Like there's something great about Smokey Robinson, The Miracle, uh, music in that it's so simple and Smokey's lyrics are so seemingly simple. I mean, Bob Dylan once called him the greatest American poet, which I think is going a bit too far. Yeah. Let's, let's put Walt Whitman somewhere there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, there is, there's, there's, he does something so well about talking about how difficult it is to express by expressing. It is like poetry um, and after that point, I, I knew, I knew how, or I knew how to love, I suppose it was just so weird. Yeah. So like my, that, that connecting, those connecting fibers between music and love are like unendingly intertwined in me now, Yeah. you know? So whenever I write a song, I have to try my very best not to make it a love song. 
so much. <laughs> like every song is like, oh, how can I write about love? <laughs> how can I write about a girl or a boy I fancy? Or like, you know, um, and uh, yeah. It, it, and, and, and after a while I'm like, no, I can, I can make this about, I'll, I'll make this about this instead. Yeah. <laughs> but it always starts off with like, how can I explain, you know? <laughs> what can I say? Um, <laughs> Do you know what? The, the, the first album that... Um... Not the first time I ever bought, but the first time it was ever on in my house was a, it was called Motown Chartbusters. Oh, you can't go wrong, and you can't. But it had tracks of my tears and Tears of a Clown on it. Tears of a Clown. So it had both on there, and I remember. And, and as much as since then, obviously, I've explored that sort of music, you know Motown and and, and Marvin and and mm. everybody so much. I remember hearing them two tracks and saying, "Have you got any more records to my parents from mm. Smoky Women's and Miracles?" And they had this like box of seven inch singles, and then they pulled out, You Really Got Hold of Me. Oh. And then I was like, yeah. What? Oh, fuck. What is and this? Like, and, and then I, I just remember I was probably about 10, and I'm, and I'm maybe a little bit older than that, when the Oliver Stone film Platoon come out. Right. And on the trailer, they used Tracks of My Tears. Yeah. And I remember it just reignited it in me again. Yeah. And it's, it's a, an absolutely incredible record, and yeah. it's so evocative, and it's I see, I, yeah, I couldn't pick a better one myself, mate. Oh, cool. Well, I, it, I, the, the one, one of the things I really love about this song, and I think that, like, I, I know where the cracks in in the transfer are on the analog tape, like, because I know this song so much. Right. I've played it so many times. I know when it's going to cut out in certain points. On you know, I'm, I've got so many sort of transfers of it. Like I've got from a compilation over here, which I know is like 958 kilobytes per second and all that sort of stuff um because it's um <laughs> it's it's imprinted on my soul and yeah. i have to know every version of it yeah um and uh yeah it's um it's something i can't let go of and that's why i had to get it tattooed on me oh really <laughs> yeah i've got like this lozenge microphone because i saw this live performance and it's got like in the bottom there i'm gonna get it redone because it's it's had too much exposure in the sun yeah. from like big day out festival and, yeah. and that sort of stuff but um uh, oh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. You watched a performance yes, of it? Yes, I did. Yeah, sorry. I got the lozenge microphone because I saw a performance of it. And I bought... <laughs> this is so terrible. This is just so me. I bought my mum a, um, a, uh, a Smokey Robinson the Miracles DVD. And it has, like, all the recordings and then all the recordings acapella and you've got to listen to some, uh, like tracks of my tears acapella and you can hear the music through the cans it's just oh, coming down the microphone it's glorious but there's this live performance of um of him singing uh, tracks of my tears and then actually you really got a hold on me and he's kind of losing his voice and it just it's just Oh, what it, a recent performance where he's losing it, his no, voice. No, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's in the 60s. And it's, I think it's, it must have been one of those Motown tours that they did around yeah. the country. It's like, hey, I've got this new single. You really got a hold of me and I'm going to sing it for you now. And yeah. everyone's like screaming. Um, <clears throat> but there's, there's something inherently emotional about Motown music that I think is like rooted in, in pain yeah. and, and, and disenfranchisement and marginalization. Um, where love and speaking about love became like a coded kind of language of the pain that they were going through as a community. Um, and, you know, which is why Hitsville was so essential because it was a place where they could come together and, 
and be autonomous and be creative and expressive and free. And, you know, they ruled the charts from this little house um, in, uh, it, it was Michigan, wasn't it? Um, so, you know, I, I, th I think that's why Motown music is so expansive because underlying all of it, and, you know, as a, as a white guy in England, you know, I, I was working class and grew up on a council estate, but, you know, we all have our own small problems, micro problems. Some of us have our bigger problems are much more substantial and like socially based problems. But I think that's what's so incredible about Motown music is that, and, and, and why this song touched me is because, um, it has this unconscious, unspoken, um, sublime way of just sort of penetrating through the intellectual and just and grabbing hold of your heart and squeezing and, and there's so much tragedy in them songs yeah. yet the music's so joyous Isn't as it? well that's it's what's like, so crazy yeah. about it you listen to tracks of my tears and if it didn't have the lyrics if it didn't yeah. have them even if it didn't have the melody and it just played through you'd be like what a lovely little melody yeah. what a lovely little sort of chord sequence what a happy little song yeah but he's and because of like the delicacy of his voice and it's high register um he's pained yeah but i, I like that. oh my god i've never thought of this before that's kind of what i do i sort of take rock music and i turn them into painful love songs <laughs> <laughs> there you go you've I got your answer realized rock and roll queen is about unrequited love but it's like a really rocky happy song brilliant um yeah so uh yeah, I, I suppose it's kind of... Should like, anyone else want uh, off-the-beaten track therapy, just uh, <laughs> reach out to me. <laughs> Come to East London for free. Coffee supplied. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding... Playing licensed music. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to 
Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Okay. Um, Billy, I want you to tell me for track three, does something remind you of your time at school? Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I went to an all boys school uh, in Hartford um, called Richard Hale. And it was it was great. It was wonderful. I had a good group of friends. I didn't have like one group of friends. I was one of those kind of kids that bounced around from group to group. I'd hang with the popular crew and then I'd hang with the rock crew and, you know, and then I'd have with hang with sort of like the, um, I don't know, the sporty crew or whatever. Um, but I was never quite in with people. And, um, uh, but one thing that united all of those groups was the garage movement. <laughs> UK garage and um is this secondary school this is secondary school right. yeah so I, I I was in school 96 to 2001 okay um and uh yeah I I remember hearing sweet like chocolate and I, I I don't remember where I was but all I remember is this overarching memory of just all the brilliant times in school um and all the I kind of remember that it was never really about learning. Like I was always in the middle sets. So I always set three or set two. I was never one or five. Yeah. So I was kind of like, you know, I'd turn up and I'd do the work. But for me, school was like, okay, when can I go to the music block and tinker on the piano? Or, right, are we, are we going on the field to play football today? And Yeah. Um, and as much as I was like, I was bullied for being gay, um, and I'm not. I'm by, but I, I couldn't quite explain it or even like understand it at that point in my life. But, but I was like from year eight, nine onwards, even the year sevens would be like, Oh, you're fucking gay, you know, in the hallways. And I'll be like, by the time I got to year 11, I was just so used to it. But the you, thing used to it, but does that mean it would water off a duck's back or would it? No, it really hurt. Yeah, of it course. It really hurt. That's like, a lot for a young person to be yeah. able to get their head around. It was, um, it was so weird because I was, I grew up in a household that was like, you know, it's totally okay to be gay. And even my mum, like a couple of months ago, we sat down and uh, my mum's been going through her own troubles recently. And she, we, we've been having a lot of coffees, coffee mornings together, just chatting and I'll be playing her some new, new stuff. Been writing in the studio. And, uh, and she'd go, Billy, I've just remembered, we all thought you were gay. <laughs> I was like, so did everyone else. Um, <laughs> so my family did too. Um, but no, no, it's, it's much more complicated than that. And, um, and, and yeah. But I th- I, like, even so, I still got on with everyone. Did that spoil you know? school? Sorry? Did that spoil school for you? Uh so I normally ask people I if they enjoyed school. Yeah, like I, it was, it's so, it's so riddled with conflict for me because like I loved certain teachers. I feared certain teachers. I loathed certain teachers. Um, and that was the same as students, you know, there were people that I loved, I was scared of that I just didn't want to have, didn't want to give the time of day to. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, like that, that's just kind of school, isn't sure. it? Like it's like this microcosm of society where, you know, you live within school, a more compressed and more intense and concentrated uh, 
experience of what it is to be in the outside world and then you get outside and you're like actually things aren't as intense as they are when you're in school because you spend so much time with like a small group of people amongst like a much larger group of people um and it kind of is like that but it's not it's not at all and especially if you're going to go into something like music which i did which frees you from the nine to five quotidian experience of sitting down at a computer next to someone you sit down to uh, next to every day uh, I, I promised myself when I was 16 that I was never going to do that. I was like, if, even if I work in a hotel collecting dirty sheets from hotel rooms, which I ended up doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, that, I, I don't want to do that. And my mum was like, okay, we're going to get you on the council house waiting list and we're going to get you a job. And I was like, no. What did you want to be at school? Uh, I wanted to be like a truck driver. You know, because I'm like, <laughs> I, I didn't honestly, this is so weird. <laughs> you know what's really funny is that I don't even have a driving license. I've Brilliant. never driven a car. That's a good start. <laughs> but I have, I have flown a plane. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I went for one plane lesson uh, for my birthday because my, my, my dad knows I'm obsessed with planes and trains and all that, like, geeky shit. Uh, but I've never driven, never had a lesson, like, you know, and I'm 35 now. Right. I'm going to. Yeah. I will. <laughs> <laughs> just not no rush, mate. Yeah, you know, I quite like being driven around. That's the thing. Like, since I was nineteen, twenty, I've been on tour buses, and I'm kind of like, well, I'm getting used to this now. Of course, mate. <laughs> so you know, I paid for Ro to do her driving lesson because she was really keen. She, you know, she really wanted to be independent and, yeah. and go and get a job. And I was like, I tell you what. I'll I'll do your driving license. I'll pay for the car, and then you it's yours. But you know, if I need picking up from the studio, yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you. And that is the way. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Um, so, uh, was you was you playing music at school? I, I was. I like. Um, I I heard um, uh, Supersonic by Oasis, um, and from that moment, I was like, um, I'm learning to play the guitar, and. From that day onwards, I would wake up every single day and I would be like, right, what can I learn to play today? Or, you know, yeah, what riff can I make up today? I was obsessed, absolutely obsessed. So in school, yeah, I, I, there reached a point where I'd sort of moved from sport and moved from moving around in social groups. I took my GCSE in music um, and I was spent most of my time uh, in the music block. Uh, and that's where, you know, Josh and I started playing. I taught Josh the drums to Supersonic. And, you know, we, we play together and we've been playing together ever since. Uh, I started dating Charlotte after um, we met at um, Harlow Penguins Swimming Club. <laughs> I used to be a national swimmer. So um, nice. I saw Charlotte in a swimming costume and I was like, Yep, I would like to go on a date with you, please. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, as soon as Charlotte started hanging out with me and Josh, I was like, fancy playing bass guitar? And and that's it. Charlotte would uh, come from uh, her school over in Sorbo, Sawbridgeworth, which I'll mention a bit later. Um, and uh, yeah, she'd come to Hartford and I'd book a room for us to just cover Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day and then eventually making our own songs. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that. We, 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 we got into the next song, but then I do want to um, talk about the, 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 the formation and, and, and the, the next steps because I had Tim Deller on here. Okay. And I didn't realise that you were his first signing, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and So much love for those guys, <laughs> honestly. My heart swells every time I think of them. I remember um, when, we, when we first met them, we first met them at a Weatherspoons in Highbury. Wicked. Uh, and um, 
It was so funny. They were so. They were so. Um, like, this, this, this is, this is, we're talking about transgressive records. Yeah, transgressive records. So sorry, but they were so they were like us. Like we were, we were, we were seventeen or eighteen at the time. He couldn't have been much older. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Right. Like they were exactly the same. They were like these two young, precocious, intelligent, honest, really go-getting guys, and just so lovely. Like so lovely. Um, and you know, we. I remember when we first met, and and they they they'd sort of like. Uh, that they they'd done a few things like they talked to Block Party and they talked to the Rakes and they're like, oh, we're we're so glad to be working with a like you know good looking bunch of people and we're like, <laughs> oh, they're our friends. What are you talking about? Um, it was so funny. Like they were just they was they were they they were just such a joy to work with and that they they kind of they 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 were just like us. They were all, all right. over the place. You know, well, let's pick up on that. New, 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 you know, always going in new directions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they've done all right as well now, haven't they? They've done pretty well. <laughs> um, they, but this is, this is what they are. They, 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 they were always going to be something yeah. because they cared and they love music and they love people and they love putting those two things together yeah. <laughs> you know um but like i just want to go back to like garage music because garage sure. music was a was a huge part of my growing up yeah. like um i i was you know i grew up on like acdc deep purple t-rex bowie Ramones. oh there's a lot of music on at home then yeah mum and dad dad was a huge rocker our first ever gig that we went to was um acdc wembley stadium wow and then like 10 years later we were supporting them <laughs> no was it 10 years yeah, it would have been 10, 10 or 11 years afterwards. I mean, how was that? To, uh, to, to, to be able to go from that, you know, that, that gig with your dad. Yeah. Did your dad come to the show? Oh, dad, dad's been our uh, uh, drum tech. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, um, you know, we were, we were kids when we first started. When we were like, yeah, we're going to start booking gigs in London. Uh, dad had just been made redundant because he, he grew up in Wales, like in, in the hills, mountains in Wales, in Nantiglow, Miglamorgan. Um, and he was severely dyslexic. Like, he couldn't read or write. When he met my mum at 23, she taught him to read and write. And um, he he managed to get a job as a miller and a turner, an engineer in Wenning Garden City in a factory. And um, they, you know, they... I don't know what happened with the company, but my, my dad was made redundant because of his um, lack of qualifications, couldn't get a job. He was, he was sort of just... Um, he was kind of like... It was it was horrible. It was like a really bad period, and that's why like I'm ever ever thankful for a labor labor government because without them we we never would have got yeah. through those those mm-hmm. times. Um, uh, I'm so sorry. I'm being so uh, partisan. <laughs> but, Not at all. Um, but I, you know, uh, so when when we when we first started gigging in London, I was like, okay, I'm making a little bit of money doing my job at the hotel, so I'll pay Dad ten quid to drive us into London. Dad drove us into London and he'd help set us up. We'd play the gig. He'd help us set down and then we'd, we'd drive home. And mum eventually would be at the back of the room selling our CDs and, and any, that anywheres shit. that we had. Love it. Um, and when we played our first gig at the Astoria headlining, you know, dad was still there and mum was, mum was really upset actually because the merch area is in the bar uh, or was in the bar yeah. at the Astoria. It wasn't, it wasn't in the main room. Cool. So our, our First big gig at the Astoria. Mum couldn't watch us. <laughs> She's man in the stand. Amazing. Um, I know. Um, but yeah, mom, eventually <laughs> mum was like, I can't do this anymore, boys. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop. But dad was, you know, dad, I remember growing up, um, and this is before I even wanted to play the guitar, 
uh, just strumming away uh, on an acoustic. And he was self-taught, you know. He taught me my first E chord. Uh, my first guitar after I heard Supersonic, he, um, he picked up from my nan's. She had a lodger uh, and he'd sort of skipped town without paying, but he'd left behind this ratty old acoustic with no strings. Um, and my nanny Dorian was like, what am I going to do with it? You know, that's how she spoke. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's how my mum speaks as well. Um, and my dad was like, oh, I'll come pick it up. That's very similar to your Brian's mum voice. It uh, is very, from... isn't it? It's like, <laughs> I know, I know. I do, I do have a habit of caricaturing people to life of Brian. What's he like? <laughs> You're fucking nicked. That's every copper, every copper. Um, <laughs> So yeah, dad, dad strung it, tuned it, showed me my first E chord and that was it. I was teaching myself. Um, but yeah. Uh, garage music. Garage music. There we go. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like Tristram Shandy over here. Oh, I just I'm get, loving it. I regress. <laughs> uh, digress, sorry. Um, so uh, yeah, I, it, it was one of the first kind of ventures for me into music that wasn't played like viscerally with the fingers and hands, you know, that, that it was by people you know done by people in their bedrooms with like software mm. and which is amazing because um you know i was i was so um i think i was so absolutist at that point i was like oh there's no music worth listening to unless it's got guitars in sure and then like sweet light chocolate came out and i was absolute like it was it was like hearing abba for the first time I was like, can music really do this? Can music really do this? Can it like exist with just a beat and then like this really simplistic melody over the top and reach number one and permeate the consciousness of like every single person on this country? Um, and yeah, it was true. And it was another one of those moments where your your perspective is completely broadened um, and you're thankful and liberated for it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, and I'm I'm an unashamed lover of of garage music, um, and uh, I don't care who knows it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Track four. Right. Yes. The first song you remember buying from a record shop. Okay. Right. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Charlotte and I used to swim in Harlow at a club called uh, uh, Harlow Penguins, and we'd. We, you know, we had a big group of friends there. And, and one of my friends, um, Dan Higgs, um, was also one of my first crushes. <laughs> I never told him this, though. Um, weirdly enough, uh, and definitely weirdly, is that um, my my wife, Ro, her mum, used to teach him in school in Bishop Stortford. And I remember mentioning that he was my first crush. And she, she said, oh, yeah, Dan Higgs, lovely boy. Isn't he? <laughs> Definitely. Um, Confirmation. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't just a crush. It was a common perspective. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, I, I went around his. And he, um, he was an Arsenal fan as well. And oh, probably still is. Um, and uh, we, we were watching the footy. And then all of a sudden he was like, hey, do you fancy going to the record store and buying a single? I was like, what? Without mum and dad? What? Um, you know, because usually... So how old would you have been? Uh, oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to tally. I'd say like 12 or 13. Right. Um, and up to that point, like, I would go with mum or dad. Like, I remember trying to buy an Out Here Brothers record, like, with my thumb covering the explicit lyrics bit. And I was like, oh, can I, can I get this? And my, my dad... Peeled my thumb away from the CD cover and was like, no, you can't. 
Um, but he was absolutely fine playing the ACDC. Yeah. The songs about having boners and stuff. Amazing. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, he was like, yeah, yeah, let's go to the record store. And I had, like, you know, the pocket money that I was given, which was, like, I don't know, five quid. Um, and I could buy a, a single with it. Um, so I was looking around, and I didn't quite know what to buy. And then I saw um, Brimful of Asher by Corner Shop. And I'd, I'd heard the Norman Cook remix, but mm-hmm. I didn't know it was the Norman Cook remix. Right. So um, I, I can't remember what he bought. Like, he must have bought something like... Um, I don't know, a Jamiroquai record or something. It might have been Canned Heat, or was that a bit before? That would have been a bit after, Yeah, probably a bit after, actually. Would have been virtual reality around that time. Probably, mm. yeah. Um, so uh, we went back to his house, or his parents' house, and we each took turns in putting our CDs on. And I remember being so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I bought something um, that's mine. You know, it was, it was like that first big decision that's yours, you know, when... I don't know, when you come out of school and you're like, I have to decide what I've got to do yeah. now, you know, with my life. Um, and it, it, I, I was like, I can decide what listen, what music I, I, I can listen to, you know, without mum or dad going, that's good or that's bad. Yeah. I, I get to choose this now. Um, and he put his CD on and we listened to it. And then I put um, Brimful of Asher on. And I was like, what? What's this? Yeah. What is this? Like, because it was it was so slow and it was so chilled and it was the the standard version. Sure. It was the corner shop version. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this is. Have I been listening? Like, am I going mad? I thought I was going mad. Like, um, I reckon ninety percent of people that bought that absolutely. had that experience. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> What's going on? Um, and as and, an indie DJ, make sure you click the right track and yeah, don't put that one on the dance floor because it. it does not work. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll be like lifted very speeding at 2%. Um, and uh, eventually, I got it because we were flicking through. I was like, oh, right. And uh, it was at that point that I realized the value and importance of the remix. And I went right through my record collection and I was like, oh, my God, this is a remix. Yeah. Um, and I knew what mixes were. I started to learn what masters were. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so, like, if it, uh, I remember buying, like, a remastered version of uh, Carpenters and listening to it and going, whoa, God, that's so different. That's so amazing. Um, and uh, the, the record-making process was actually a really complicated um, process. And... Um, I loved it all the more for it because um, it takes more thought and it's going to take more time. But, I, you know, as, as like a, a fellow muso, you kind of, you, you revel in that and, yeah. you, and you swallow it up. Um, and I have a tendency to geek out. Um, so, yeah. Would, would, I, would you always deconstruct music when you heard it? Um, I don't think, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look back and, and think. I mean, when I used to listen to Oasis... Maybe, maybe when it was when I was trying to work them out on guitar, but when it came to bands like um, T Rex, you know, especially the the Visconti uh, produced stuff, or or like ABBA, especially because even now I listen back and I can't quite believe that they put that stuff down on tape. I mean, it feels supernatural. It's so good. ABBA, yeah, it's so good. It's supernatural. I've got to say it, Billy. Right, um, Boxing Day. We was in the car driving home from, from my relatives. My wife said, what should we put on? And I said, for some reason I had Abby in my head. And I said to her, 
have you ever heard Angel Eyes by ABBA? And she went, which one's that? And then I went to sing it and she went, don't, because I always <laughs> sing it badly and no one ever knows it, what I'm always talking about. Always try though, and it's like, good fun. And, uh, and I went, just put it on. I think it's got the greatest chorus ever written. Right. And, uh, and so we put it on and straight away the kids in the back were singing. Oh, amazing. And I just thought... It's ingrained these songs. Yeah. These songs find their way. And yeah. and I've mentioned it before on this podcast, just driving along one day with Aztec cameras, somewhere in my heart, come on the radio. Yeah. And my daughter started singing the chorus. Yeah. And I was like, How do you know this? I know. And I, it's like it's fanned its way. Yeah. And yeah. and we then just went on this whole journey just listening to ABBA and arguably some of the greatest songs ever written. I know. It's and 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 they produced it all themselves as well. Like, you know. And I, I so think, many. I know. So many. It's like they, in the same way that Motown would just go into a studio and they'd come out with like stone cold yeah. hits. Um, but I, I, I think one of, the, one of the first instances of me really going, oh, you know, th- this is, music is worth deconstructing, is, um, is, is after learning about the remix, but the, even that is like, it, I don't think it went far enough. It's when I went to, I went to see Mamma Mia, um, the stage show, and um, and I started reading up on um, how uh, Benny and Bjorn uh, went about, you know, sort of allocating where the songs went in the show and how the narrative was going to go. Um, and then there was this really interesting story about how they'd never ever written down or notated the songs that they'd written, so they couldn't just hand the note uh, the notations over to uh, um, the orchestra or anything like that, or really? the conductor. They they had to go into the studio and track by track listen to the performance and then write out and notate the notes, rhythms, all that sort of stuff. And I thought. What? What? Oh my God! Like, and and then you start. You're like, so that's what that mixing desk does. And okay, so those parts in those songs aren't one instrument; they're three instruments blended together. Okay, and and you you suddenly the polyphony of music occurs to you. Yeah. Um, and the the ensemble aspect occurs to you. Uh, and, and that's kind of when you start thinking, I'm going to form a band, you know, because I want to create that polyphony. I want to layer sounds. I want to, I want to see what happens. And it really is like, it's kind of like cooking. Yeah. You know, you, you can, I love cooking because like, firstly, it's a, just a great way to kind of like go into a meditative transcendent state where you just like menially chopping things up and putting them in bowls and then getting things ready and organizing. But at the same time, it's like you're complementing things and you're setting things off each other. Um, and it's, it's kind of magic. And it's part of that ritualistic ceremonial aspect that makes us what we are. That's kind of like taking us from like cavemen to, to tribal territorial um, uh, communities, dancing around the campfire, screaming at the sky, praying for rain for the crops to grow uh, into like, you know, building cities and, and connecting those cities and then connecting countries together um, music and food and like art and all that stuff is what is like it's bound cultures together um, and immerse them inside each other and what's like brings us together as like a human species. So um, yeah, 
music is is a part of that an integral part of that process it's you know it's it's forever blows my mind that we can get on a plane go over to japan who you know they're, they're a civilization that live untold measure uh, measures of difference to us like the, the, the way that they just go about their daily lives, the, what, what they eat when they wake up and, you know, how, how their school system is run and how their, ne- uh, their tr- the public transport system and, you know, the fact that the teenagers are the really good guys, you know, who are straight laced and it's the businessmen who are <laughs> acting like teenagers. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, you, <clears throat> you're like, stuff that we made in my bedroom is being played over in Japan in a completely separate and different culture they're getting to experience our culture. We're getting to go over and experience theirs. Um, so, yeah, it's all part of this just magic of existence, I suppose. You mentioned dancing around and screaming at the sky a moment ago. So that leads us on nicely uh, to track five. Yes. Which is the song that soundtracked your years in Clubland, Billy. Yes. Okay, so most of my years in Clubland were spent in Harlow, but sometimes it'll be in London. Um, but we'd sometimes go to the square, we'd watch a band and then we'd be like, yeah, yeah, we're staying up till five in the morning. So we'd go over to um, Pulse or Liquid, which is just over the road from the square in the town centre. And it was horrible. These are your, <laughs> your sort of tan type clubs yeah, playing kind like, of yeah. generic dance music. Yeah. And then like eventually we, we started going over to these places so often that um, the, one of my mates who ran the square would come over and he'd DJ. Um, at, at Liquid and every single time I would go up to him and he'd go The Prayer by Blood Party right I'd be like yeah yeah and for me that that song doesn't just sort of cement in my mind and my memory like that that time and those experiences in the club um, and with a whole new select group of people um, and, and friends that I'd made from going to those clubs um, it was the experience of being in a club that was completely different to being in a venue that, you know, where you've got the performers on the stage and the, the audience plays a participatory role, but largely sort of submissive. Whereas in the club, um, the, the DJ is submissive to the whims of the crowd. And I, I would go up and I'd, I'd ask for the prayer, not just because of like the beat, which was insane. Like Jack Knife Lee's production on it is incredible to the point where when we first went over to America and we started talking to Michael Goldstone, um, who, who was heading Warner Records over there, uh, and he asked me about producers. I was like, Jack Knife Lee, Jack Knife Lee, Jack Knife Lee. Um, but it, ne- it never ended up working out because... Did you ever hear his band? No, who, who's his band? He was in a band called Compulsion. Okay, right. Oh, my and, God. Uh, who I first saw supporting the Pumpkins. Uh, no in way. In the very early 90s. Right, I'm going to have to write um, And check out the track Mal Monarchy uh, by uh, Compulsion. And, uh, Great, I'm uh, just writing that down, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tune that is. Wicked. Um, um, so, yeah, I, I, I'll... Male monarchy, there we go. Sorry, I just finished... I, I hate typing things in. Um, I'm much more of a writer. Um, so, it, it wasn't just, like, the beat. It wasn't just the production and all this, like, insane synth line, which I'm still trying to work out to this day. And I'm, I'm, I'm so tempted to email... Lee and go, can you just send me the stem of that yeah. synth line so I can see what it is? Like, no effects or anything. I just want the dry sound. Mm. Um, I really need to know what that is. Um, it was also the lyrics. Um, and I think Kelly, when he wrote these lyrics, he's so 
perfectly tapped in and deconstructed the mindset of going out and clubbing, right? Which is, as we talked about earlier, like the rave scene, which is yeah. communal and people showing love for each other. And, um, and, and you're sort of like, you're involving yourself in, in, in something that's bigger than you. Sure. You're giving yourself over. You're like dissipating your sense of self so that you become part of this like rhythmic leviathan. Like, you know, this, this sea of bodies that moves as one to the beat. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like there is this element that is like, everybody look at me. This night is about me, isn't it? Like, I'm going to shine. Is this Billy the Show? Yeah. It so is. <laughs> it so is. And the weird thing is, is like, well, actually, like, the, 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 the total appropriate thing is that I would always ask for it as soon as he'd get on the decks. And no one would be on the dance floor. So oh, as, as a DJ, me. people like you are the most irritating <laughs> thing ever. You know, know what they're going to ask. And they're first up straight yeah. away. And you'd be, oh, for fuck's fuck sake. <laughs> I, I know. I understand it. Because, like, Rose, Rose's a DJ and she's like... Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. She's like, for um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, can you play this? No, it doesn't go. It won't work. It will work. But it's work. all about me, yeah, though. Exactly. That's the point, Steve. So um, it would just be me, and it it was, and obviously, eventually, like as the night went on, yeah, you'd sort of you'd immerse yourself. You'd become part of that like that body of of people, and you'd it would just be about the movement, and and obviously getting absolutely wasted off my yeah. tits which I don't do anymore but um, when I was at college um, I would um, they would have these bops which were like four hours long and they'd get a DJ in from another college and and you know people would they'd just play they play pop hits or whatever and eventually it'd turn into EDM and, and, and some trance hits or whatever and as the night goes on it just gets even quirkier but the beat would be pulsing just pumping away and whichever room you were in in college you could hear that beat and it would always call to me and even when I wasn't drinking, and probably more so now that I'm not drinking or doing any drugs or anything like that, as soon as I get on the dance floor, I go to somewhere else. Like, I become not me, and I am part of a group that's bigger than me. I'm, I, I feel like I'm tapping into the universe. And Kelly... Do you get joy out of that? I get so much joy. I, I, I sometimes, like, I have to, I have to measure my joy because my come downs from those natural highs... Really? Yeah, yeah. That's um, really interesting. It's like, and it happens on stage. Like when I when I play with the band, um, and we're we we're, we're of this philosophy where we want to break down that barrier between the band and the fans to an extent where, like, we are giving them, we're giving them a sense of freedom. We're giving them a choice of where the show is going to go. Um, whilst at the same time still being able to like you know carry on with the show and play, yeah. um, I think you do that well. Oh, cool! Cheers. Yeah, I mean, like, I just remember being in the audience. I remember, I remember hearing my favourite songs being played by you know a, a band on stage and and wanting to be a part of it. And and you're separated by that huge distance between you and the band, where they're elevated and you're kind of. Like you're liquidated because you're kind of looking up and sure. you feel, I don't know, you almost feel like, I, I just don't want them to feel like the insignificance I felt at points when I was in the crowd. And that's why I don't like playing shows that are too big. Yeah. And if we do play festivals um, at least three times during the show, I'll be out in the crowd or I'll be asking them stuff or I'll be making, you know, I, I'm just trying to dissipate that that huge chasm that exists between us and us and the crowd um and so 
how did I get onto that? Oh, the transcendence, the transcendence experience yeah. on stage, yeah. And so, like, you know, I want to, I want to feel like they're possibly feeling in the crowd, and I want them to feel like how I'm possibly feeling on the stage. But also, it's like something about uh, playing music with my best friends, the two people that I value probably um, most in this world, um, and who I die for, Josh and Charlotte. And and what we what we've experienced together over these years, and the songs that we've written together, and the the kind of tribulations that we've been through, and what we've overcome, um, which in the grand scheme of things probably isn't much, but personally it feels like we've done a lot. So um, it's it's a real kind of um, it feels festive. It feels like a circus. It feels like um, it feels like a I don't know, kind of like the dance of death. You know, like. We're all living forever in this one yeah. moment. And that's kind of like what Kelly talks about in the prayer is is like, yeah, the movement. Yeah, we're all dancing to the same beat. Yeah, we're all kind of like going through our daily lives. But when we're on the dance floor, um, we all become one. But at the same time, like there's this ego within me that has to like, what are the lyrics? Um, tonight. Yeah, yeah. Tonight yeah. make me unstoppable. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to slice on charm and dazzle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this. The word dazzle don't get used enough anymore. Does it not? No. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, slicing. I, I, I remember listening to it and thinking, is he actually saying slicing? I think he is. Mm. But, um, and it kind of like, I love listening to these kinds of songs because it, it it allows me the room to to kind of go i can i can venture there too you know um and it's it's a safe thing to say you know i'm only going to go there because others have been there and that's kind of what like block party are is that like when they first came out um they just they just stampeded through every other band at the time and just you know planted their flag in the ground um with this really kind of dry post-punk um sound it, it was it was you know someone that was a, a you know a, 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 an indie dj at that point i got i got the seven inch of of banquet and i was like oh my god what the fuck is this it is like, so beautiful it's it's like yeah it's an indie hit but at the same time it's yeah. so, it's an incredibly beautiful song yeah but they came out with this second record and working with jackknife lee and they'd sort of decided okay, we could kind of do that again or we could go synthy and, mm. and I, I love them for it. Um, but I love Kelly even more so because he, in this song, just totally gets clubbing. Yeah. For me, anyway. <laughs> Wonderful. And I'll tell you what, before we move on to the next track, I'm going to shout out uh, uh, as the DJ that if you like that song, check out the Does It Offend You Yeah remix of it because oh my it's God. fucking I, incredible. I haven't heard that. And I love Does It Offend You Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we played a bunch of um, festivals with them. I think, I think, well, it'll be out by the time that this one comes out, but I think the next episode is um, Bobby from Does It Offend You Yeah's uh, Amazing. episode. Amazing. Send, send him my regards, because it's do. been years. I will do. Um, you need to go and check out what Bobby's doing. He's got a venue called The Rattle in right. London now, which he's all put together to, and he's got one in LA now as well. And it's Crikey. all about getting bands heard and, and working with new talent it. and nurturing it. It's amazing. Brilliant. I'm definitely doing that. Amazing. But yeah, oh. check that remix out. And I believe Dan Lassac done a, a good remix of it as well. Really? Yeah. 
Check them out. I love it. Amazing. Okay, cool. I'm a sucker for a remix now. Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you what. It's, it's, uh, I mean, the Does It Offend You? Yeah, one is, is up there with uh, Norman's remix of uh, Corner Shop. Yeah. <laughs> Favourite song from an artist from your home county? Okay, so I come from Hertfordshire, which is like this liminal space between the, the urban um, confines of, of London and the, the Fens, the rural pastoral perfection of the fence and it's kind of like it's this it's this in-between space that um is limbo and it was so boring and that's kind of why i turned to music because i wanted can, can i just say billy like that, yeah. that limbo that you talk of there is the reason i set this podcast up oh really because initially i just wanted to speak to people from certain areas right about where their creativity come from yeah and and a couple of weeks ago i had matt from suede sitting there and wow. he was saying that they lived outside of london yeah. him and brett and nothing happened yeah and this comes from the fact that i'm from essex where not a lot happens yep. in in the world of art and creating music yeah and i just wanted to know especially on the fringes of the areas that we're talking about here how much pull was there to say well you've got to move to london um there was it was so weird because when we were playing at the square um and and it was like this fringe venue on the, on, on the edge of london which kind of like rendered the idea of going to london negligible unless you wanted to go to like an arena show sure like every 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 gig you wanted to go to was at the square but at the same time it was it did exist in like this place that's that's built out of nothing i mean the harlow as a new town is like faulty by nature you know it was constructed um in this ditch so it's you know there are periods of flooding because it's so badly organized Wedding Garden City in Hatfield, where I grew up, it was a post-war haven for people who were fleeing um, the Blitz. So, um, you know, there, there are these houses that are, you know, these residential areas. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's kind of like a town centre. And it's, it's so central and it's so small that it's almost like a nothing. That it's built for consumption it's built for time wasting. It's built for uh, money wasting, I suppose, and it, it, killing time and uh, and little else. You know, we didn't have a cinema in our town. Um, we we had more Waitrose than you know, and and Tesco and ASDA than anything else. It was that they, they it was this vacuum. And um, when we started playing more in Welling Garden City and as well as Harlow. Because, because Wellington City didn't have its square uh, for the several decades beforehand, it the, there was a venue called the Green Room. I think it's still going actually, which is above a pub um, called the Doctor's Tonic. And when that started up, um, what happened was is it, there, there, on a Thursday nights there were acoustic sessions. Then eventually it went electric, and eventually like it became a, a venue in and of itself. It was def- it established itself not just as a pub as like the only venue in Welling Garden City and anywhere near it but this this clique was established and we've never been very good with cliques like me in school I was never very good at it I would sort of hop skip jump between uh, groups of people we as a band were never very good at it we're never good at 
collaborations. We, you know, we'll we'll go on tour with a band, but we'll we'll kind of like, I think we're just naturally uh, quite um, insular people, I suppose. Uh, I say that being one of probably one of the most arrogant frontmen I know. <laughs> um, but when we were in Welling Garden City, um, there were these cliques that formed, and they were quite exclusionary. <clears throat> And the idea of moving into London was seen as a kind of betrayal okay. of that scene. It's interesting. And with the square, it was always seen as a move of advancement, of something that that signalled that, you know, you were taking what you'd developed at the square and you were running with it and they were proud of you for it. Okay. Um so Welling Garden City for me represented more of like this um, home counties, curtain twitching, um, it's almost like residential, suburban, depressive inducing existence okay. that I was avidly fighting against. Um, and one of the reasons why I started the band was because I didn't want to become one of those people um and you know I I made that promise like I said earlier I made that promise to myself early on um and I'm really proud that I I managed to pull that off but you know that was kind of a one in a million chance and everything all the disparate elements that made that possible just seemingly came together through hard work I yeah yeah I, I I like I I look back and I think yeah you know people say oh you you worked really hard didn't you I was like yeah but I kind of I was also really lucky. Just because you enjoy what you do, it doesn't mean that it's not hard work. I, I know, absolutely. And I, you know, I was, I was very. I look back and I think, wow, what an ambitious kid. You yeah. Know? And um, to be to to have drive is 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 a blessing. Yeah. You've got that. You know, to have creativity and drive, that's that's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and I I kind of accept it, but a part of me is like, I want to push that away a little bit and just say, but also I think my parents were. Inc- incredibly supportive um and uh we managed to meet up with a a, a bunch of fantastic people at the square and also at the buffalo bar in london they were astounding in their in their support and that's where we met our manager ben Uh, we were two songs in and he ran up and he went stop 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 do you have a manager and we're like uh no can i be your manager if you let us get on with the show, yes. Oh, the middle of a gig. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of a gig. Love that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I, I take, I take, uh, reluctantly take that point. Yeah, yeah, I was ambitious and all that sort of stuff. But um, I, I think we were really lucky, and we got in with a great group of people, and um, and also, you know, I, I was lucky in that I had Josh and Charlotte on my side uh, the whole time as well, um, and they stuck by me even through my most difficult times, but. The, the the whole idea with the, of the band was just to create something out of nothing, to uh, turn away from the the vacuum uh, that could have been and and make something out of nothing and just be something, define myself um, as as a creator, I suppose. Um, but there are some bands that, that I mean, Hertfordshire is not all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Welling Garden City. I love and hate it and resent it. And I'm constantly telling my parents to move out of there because they'd be happier um, because of the nature of, of daily life there. And I have, I, I don't want to disparage the town too much because I love it for all its faults. Mm. I grew up there and it's a part of me. Of course. You know, the, the kind of like the mediocrity of, 
of like just I don't know the town itself, which is simply just like you know estates and a town centre has in itself like a kind of beauty and profundity that I don't want to diminish with like the words that I've been saying, you know, um, it's made me who I am. Um, but there are places like St. Albans where one of my all time favorite bands come from the zombies. Okay. Um, they've got a venue, haven't they? The horn, the horn, which has existed for decades now and has always been an absolutely beautiful and brilliant place to play am i right in saying that the shikari's from there they are they are um and i think that has something to do with like the horn being there Uh, luke hinton who runs it now and he started branching out in other areas um in hertfordshire uh notably um uh i think i I think it might also be called the horn uh, in Bishop Stortford, Uh, but they're not joined up. He just happened to uh, take charge of the back room there. Um, And Bishop Stortford's another place where it's just kind of like, you know, it's ethereal. It's nothing really happens. Yeah. Uh, And that's where uh, Ro uh, grew up when she moved down from Redditch um, or in Birmingham. And uh, yeah, so uh, the zombies grew up in, in, in St. Albans, which is totally different to Winnegun City in that it's, it's like, it's a, it's an historic town. It's got like a booming economy. It's filled with private schools. Uh, there is so much to do. Um, and it's, uh, even like I, I my mum tried to get me into a state school there. Couldn't get me in. Um, and that's why I ended up, um, going to Hartford. Um, and some, I've got some good friends who live there and I can see why Enter Shikari came from it, and I can see why the zombies came from it. And the, uh, I think the Busher Tree and me come come from there as well. Oh my god, I've not heard of that band for a long time. Yeah, I know. They they used to play in Wellington City as well. Oh. Do you remember Smash? Do you know Smash? Of course. Right. Smashing Wellington these animal City. men. Wellington uh, City. Ah, yeah. right. Have you watched the Smash documentary on Amazon no. Prime? Is it good? Oh my god, yes. I bet some of my best mates are in it. Oh, <laughs> watch it. It's yeah. it's it's incredible. Yeah, we we, we you know we. Uh, when we got our first headline gig at the garage in, uh, uh, in Islington, in Highbury, uh, we got Smash to support us. We were like, come on, let's do this together. When in Garden City. Yeah. Um, and uh, Eddie Argos from... Um, Art Brute. Art Brute came along. And oh. we're, we're taking Art Brute out on tour. I saw that. This year. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, so it's, it's so funny how things work out. It's just, I love this. I love being part of this. Um, but yeah, I this this is kind of like... The zombies bring up a really, a, a really kind of specific time in my life, because there was a period when did you ever like use LimeWire? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So like the the peer to peer networks when that started, I was like fucking straight on it. Um, and as much as I'm kind of like I'm, I'm conflicted, like you of know, course. record sales and all that sort of stuff. What LimeWire did for me was it it threw open the doors, and I was I was like I was bathed in music in so much music and i stumbled across the zombies on limewire um and i i managed to download all their stuff um and i would just listen to them over and over and over uh when i was talking to people on msm messenger and there was a period during my school times and kind of just about to go into work in life when i was trying to balance that 
anxiety about going from the hyperstructure of being in school life and then kind of having the band sure. and then going into like getting a job. And then, you know, my mum was badgering me about getting on the council house waiting list. And, yeah. and I just wanted to plug in. I wanted to plug into the computer. I wanted to talk to my friends um, and I wanted to listen to the zombies and she's not there is like that song that took me to a place where I could just Zen you know, it's a cracker, isn't oh, it? Oh my god! Um, and again, it's a you know, it's it's a it's a love song about un- unrequited. It's it's about absence in the same way that Smokey Robinson's songs are about absence. Mm. And all the subway songs we've now absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am so predictable. Like I, w- one thing that's so predictable about me is that I won't know <laughs> so much about my patterns of behaviour. <laughs> Um, my wife will turn around and go, oh, so that's why you do that. And I'm like, fucking hell, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, speaking of your wife, who's who's a lovely human being and a great DJ, oh, thank it's you. your turn to play DJ. So this yes. is the last track, and it's your turn to wow. turn someone on to a bit of music that you think they probably may not have heard. Okay, well, um, I, I mentioned earlier how much Rose show has done for me. Um, I'm a co-host on her show, um, basically it's right at diet on Boogaloo Radio and what she does is she only plays acts featuring at least one female uh, or, or trans member and um, what it's done to me is it has completely shaken my perspective of my place in the music industry um, and it's completely opened up uh, all the different kinds of music that I otherwise would never have heard and you know, it, it's that that's partly down to my own ignorance, my own um, tendency to to play certain bands on loop for ever and ever. Amen. Um, but going on that show for two hours, listening to new releases by women in music and trans uh, members in music has totally. I'm speaking completely selfishly here. Changed the way that this next album by the Subways is going to be. Nice, it Tim. is. It is just is proven such an inspiration, but more than anything, it's made me realize my own privilege, my own place in the music industry. And it's liberated me in thinking that it is such a great thing to be able to step back and provide a platform for those who are most disenfranchised and marginalized in the music community, those who are most ignored. Um, and I've made so many friends because of it. Um, and we're talking, I'm already like on, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm talking with bands about taking them on tour um, and you know, bringing bringing those bands to our fans over in Europe and over in America, um, and uh, speaking specifically about um, one song that I think everybody should hear. Now that I'm the DJ for once, <laughs> um, it's uh, a song called "OMG." I'm all over it by Jen Champion, and um, Ro played me this song on her show, or she just played it, and I, as the co-host, you know, in between. Uh, as the music's playing, we'll have a chat. And I just had to shut the fuck up and listen to this song because it was, it was like, um, like I, I've, I've never really been like a spiritual or religious person. Like maybe over the last couple of years, I've kind of conceded to the fact that there's something supernatural, maybe, yeah. maybe that, um, that, that, that our language or our understanding of this world can't quite explain. Um, and 
music like Gen Champions, which is like, it's just, it's three minutes and they're pop melodies, but um, there is something sparkling and supernatural and and something so um, ineffably beautiful happening in between the notes and in between the words spoken and in between the beats. Um, and I have been obsessively playing her record single rider since that moment. It got me through my third year at uni, my God, like, um, getting me through, uh, exams at Cambridge was, uh, was quite the feat, but I, anytime I would think that I, I was, I was about to collapse, I put single rider on and it would get me through because I feel like there's, there's some kind of like life giving energy in her music. And, and she's like, uh, she's a... Um, a lesbian part of a, 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 a music scene that's happening over in Seattle at the moment that is, um, I think, going to change the face of music um, forever. Uh, and I can't wait for a second record. But this song, OMG, I'm all over it. Um, it's just, it's for everybody. And it's magic. It's pure magic. And I hope you like it. You sold that very well, Billy. <laughs> so, the subways, what's happening? Right, so uh, we are recording our fifth album right now i'm engineering and, produ- and producing which is great for me but you know i'm a complete control freak i have to be in control <laughs> of everything but i'm learning so i'm handing the mixes over to um adrian bushby um who's worked with muse and foo fighters um worked with uh, spice girls and kylie i found found Wonderful. out yeah um he sent a mix to us the other day which uh i um I, i'm just i'm bowled over by and uh i played the mix to charlotte and she cried um i played the mix to josh who is impossible to please you know um uh, a drummer no less with asperger's syndrome um he absolutely is fully on board so uh yeah we've got two mixes to come back and um i'm currently um editing uh, josh's and charlotte's performances and about to record guitars and vocals um, and the record should be out later this year or early next year. We've got a new single uh, for which we're shooting the video very soon, but that'll be out in the summer, I reckon. Um, but it's all very exciting, and I'm kind of getting head rushed just thinking about it. <laughs> live stuff? Um, live stuff. We're playing um, an anniversary tour. It's 15 years since the release of Young Fraternity, our debut record, and we're touring the UK and Europe. Uh, and we're How taking... did the subways come out 15 fucking years ago? I know. <laughs> it's so weird. I like look in the mirror, I'm like, Subways, you've only been about, mate. Eight years, are you? <laughs> yeah, I know. 15 years. Um, so, yeah, it's been a magical journey and, I, you know, I want it to continue. And, yeah, we're so excited about these UK shows. We, we, we did really well over in Europe and we did really well over in America. And, um, and it, strangely enough, in Russia, which is amazing because it's such a fascinating place to be um so yeah it's going to be great to be playing in the uk to be playing uk venues and playing to uk crowds because i feel like we have neglected our beautiful people of the uk for too long now so yeah we're going to be playing the first album in full and uh, we're going to be supported by the magnificent art group who I, I am when we booked them i was just like they were my first choice oh, so, so I, 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 a part of me was like then they they're they're gonna say it's not really for them yeah. or they're gonna be unavailable and i personally i didn't think the tour was going to be possible without them yeah so i'm so glad that they said yes and i'm so fucking excited 
Excellent. So, yeah. Where can people find out all about this, Billy? Um, well, you can go to thesubways.net um, or you can find us on uh, Facebook, The Subways, um, uh, on Twitter, at The Subways, Instagram, at The Subways. Or you can follow me, Billy Lunn, on Instagram, Billy Subway on Twitter, Charlotte Subway on Twitter. Yeah, we're everywhere. We're, we're, you know, you'll find us. Well, I'll tag you in everything when we put this out. You're legend. And, uh, and all I can say is thank you so much, Billy. It's been well, a joy. Thank you for having me, and I'm sorry it took so long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. It really was. Uh, Billy's, as you can tell, uh, full of energy. Uh, he's, he's smart. You know, he's kind. And, and you know, and he's a straight-up rock star. It's, uh, it, it, was, it was a great chat. And... Um, and yeah, try and get along to one of those Subway shows and, and keep your eyes peeled for uh, the new album. I think that's me done. As I said at the beginning, thanks again for listening and all your support. Really appreciate it. Anything you see on the socials, give it a like, a love, a share, a retweet and and all of that stuff. And better still, please subscribe. And, uh, and yeah, go and have a look in the back catalogue because there's bundles of greatness there. Have a smashing week and I'll see you next time. See you later. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's... Interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Me stew with him. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.